Please turn now in your New Testaments to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And this is the very word of God. You want to hear God talk? This is it. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions or persecutions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. You know, one of the things that I enjoyed as the father of young children was that nightly ritual of tucking them in, of putting, putting them down uh, to sleep. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful time for a parent uh, to be able to have everything still and to be able to sit on the side of the bed, to ask a question like, is, is there anything bothering you? And just to hear those little hearts just kind of pour out their, their hearts. Uh, maybe a great time to, to pray, just to listen, just to be there with your child. I have two girls. The only problem I really ever had is, is when they became preschoolers. And uh, there came a time where I would kind of finish this ritual. And I've got to do this times two, you know. And uh, the daughter wouldn't want me to leave the room. So, you know, you, you, you have this really sweet little time. And you don't want to just abruptly say, I have to go now. And so I would lean over and I'd say, Good night, sweetheart. I'll see you in the morning. And she would say, Daddy, don't go. Good night, sweetheart. I'll see you in the morning. Daddy, don't leave me. It's, it's ratcheting up. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Sleep well, little sugar plum. <laughs> and then she would pull out, all the stops. And I clearly remember one night where some little arms just went out and a desperate loud voice said, Daddy, I need you. Daddy, she repeated, I need you. I mean, how dramatic. How haunting in a way. Because somewhere deep in my heart, even as I was maneuvering to try to exit the room, something would cause me to think, I'm so glad she needs me. Will she always need me? 
will she ever just grow up and will there, will there ever be a time where she just is fine without me? Now, you and I smile at the spectacle of, of these little arms outstretched for one more hug. But we remember that we were that little boy one time. We were that little girl. Isn't it interesting how as we grow older, we tend to get over such bold, uninhibited declarations of need of people? I'm going to tell you something. We're losing something when we get over our inhibition to say what is God-given in our hearts. I need you. And as we mature, you know, we put away such childish things and we are taught in our culture in a thousand different ways to be self-sufficient because to need somebody would to be to appear weak. To express need of someone would certainly put us at risk of being hurt. And by the time we are adults, It would feel funny for us to tell a friend, and even a good friend, I need you. But that is exactly what is going on in this text. This is exactly what the Bible teaches about who we are made to be. We are made by God to need him and to need each other. And we can deny that all we want, but all it's going to do is impoverish us and cut a cord of something that God wants to flow into our lives where life becomes fully human, where life becomes life. As God wants to give us this gift of needing one another and loving one another. You know, it's, it's not only all right to need other people, it's essential. And true Christian fellowship depends on our ability to honestly say, I need other people and they need me and we need God together. It almost feels funny saying that in this modern American rugged individualism kind of context to say, I need you sounds and feels foreign. Someone insightfully said once that the quality of our lives is largely dependent upon the quality of our relationships. And you know something? That is exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, we often think of the Apostle Paul as, as I've said before, when we kind of got into this whole thing of his you know, being this juggernaut of the gospel, type A, not to be denied, pioneer, church planting, bold, faith-oriented, hairy guy, you know. We can almost feel the determination and the grit of faith in his letters as we read as he overcomes one obstacle after another and nothing is going to take his laser beam focus on the glory of God and the gospel coming to the Gentiles. This man is set on a goal and he's keeping his eyes fixed on on Jesus. 
But I'm going to tell you something. If we're not careful, through our 21st century, rugged American individual eyes, Paul can become some kind of gospel hero. Unsinkable, undaunted, unstoppable, and not quite human, really. And needing somebody would definitely not fit that vision of who Paul is. Because you know what? It's true that Paul was a great man of faith. But here in our text, he is holding out his heart. He's holding out his heart. And you know what? It is soft. It is loving. It is relational. And and we hear a heart cry of needing to be with his friends, of wanting to know that they are okay. It is the cry of longing out of real relationship in Jesus Christ that, that we see this interplay in the text. And we can learn a lot from Paul here. Maybe some things that would surprise you from the Apostle Paul. I just want to look at one thing this morning. I want to look at the need to love as given by God. And next week, I want to look at the effect of this love and what the effect of this love has uh, on people in our lives. So let's talk about the need to love. Paul says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, the pain in verse 1 is that we are separated, that we miss you, we're not sure how you're doing. When we could... NIV, can we could stand it no longer? Like, I can't stand this anymore. I literally can't go another minute without doing something. When we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens. We sent Timothy to you. Now, Paul and Silas and Timothy had been kicked out of Thessalonica after this brand new group of of young Christians were established and they were growing in the Lord and they were understanding who Christ is in their lives and they were sharing the gospel and things were happening so much to the point that the city was getting rattled and there was opposition that was rising up and, and Paul and his friends got kicked out of town And Paul misses them and is concerned that he has left, had to leave the, this, these young believers that he loves in the midst of, of violence. You understand? He left them in violence, in a place of violence. And finally he says, we, I could stand it no longer. This lack of information, this separation. And he, and he just demonstrates here an emotional heart for his friends. And he needs to see that they are okay because he loves them. And so in the middle of a new ministry in Athens and what a ministry it is, as he crowds begin to mount around him in the marketplace, in this capital city of the culture of the ancient world where he was taken to the Areopagus and, and placed to lecture to the faculty of the school of philosophy of the entire world, the philosophers of Athens. He sends Timothy, whom he really needed in Athens, just because he has to know what's going on with the people that he loves in Thessalonica. Paul says, I would rather be left alone and know how you're doing than to have Timothy here. 
I've got to know. I can't stand it anymore. You know, I would liken Paul to a mother who is concerned about her child who is staying out too late. And so here's the mother, you know, the child's staying out later than, than the mother. Let's say the child can drive even. You get, you know, I'll make it as bad as it can be. The child can drive. And so what is the mother doing? The mother's pacing the floor, right? The mother's pacing the floor and the mother's praying maybe. Hey, by the way, it'd be great to pray at least as much as you pace. Just a little parenting hint there. But uh, she's pacing the floor. She, maybe she's praying. And why is she doing all that? Why didn't she just go to sleep? Because she loves this child and she, she's concerned about this child. And, but I'm going to tell you, there's something else here. It's not just the love that equals responsibility for another human being that I am supposed to take care of. It is much more than this. This is the sense that she not only loves her child, is responsible for her child, this is the sense that she needs her child because she, this is her child and she needs to love that child. That there is something that God has placed in the heart of that mother that is so identified with love, not just receiving it, but the need to give it to this child. I mean, it's a beautiful love, the love of a mother. Don't mess with a mama. She's so heavily vested and God has placed this child in her life and caused her heart to swell with love and she has this deep need to nurture and protect this child. Have you ever thought that as a gift of God, we might need our children just as much as they need us? It is a very interesting thought of how it is that we learn to love, how it is that we become real human beings in the image of God. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But we need need them because God has made us to love. And, you know, we need to love to really live our lives to the full. The other option simply is not to love. Here are your two options. Love, love deeply, love well, or don't. Or love sparingly. You know, love in a stingy, more self-focused fashion. It's counter to the biblical definition of love, which is agape, which is gift. Sacrifice. God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent you know, traditionally, the family and the church have been the incubators of learning how to love as human beings, right? Well, if we were to begin to lose the saliency and the ability to communicate heart-to-heart, face-to-face in our families with our own children, possibly because we're too busy, That might mess with that incubator a little bit. That would not be good for a generation rising that needs to learn how to love. That would not be good for us in our deep need to love the people that God has placed in our lives. And then the other thing is the church. And, you know, one of the reasons we're, you know, we're getting data. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's just becoming popular or what. 
But I'm hearing a new survey about every three weeks about the church and whether people are pulling away from the church or whether they are plugging into the church or whether they're done with religion or whether they're spiritual but not religious. I mean, last week was yet another one that just came out. And I want you to know that this is much more than simply a question about the, quote, institutional church. By the way, I don't care for that designation because we're a family. We're a family that's large enough to have to be organized. And that's okay. Your family has to be organized too. (laughs) So one of the, the reasons that some of the trends that we see in America kind of away from interaction in the body of Christ, why it's so bad for people and not just for the church is simply because we are made to love. And you know, it is precisely the church where we live with people and people that are not in our immediate family and people that we necessarily wouldn't know if we had to walk across the street or across the neighborhood to meet them. And you know what we are called to do together as the body of Christ? To love one another, to roll up our sleeves and get into the messiness of messy people like me and you. And to forgive people and to bear with people and to be patient and to be loving. It is this beautiful mishmash of humanity, sin and grace and redemption that equals astonishing love in a self-serving, ruggedly individualistic generation. The church is blindingly beautiful when we function as the church. No. We walk with people and we come out of ourselves toward other people in the church. And this, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. I tell you what that reveals. That reveals so often a desire to be in control and to not have to deal with the messiness of other sinners. That's what it, that's what it is. To not have to deal with the messiness of other sinners, to control our own lives But it also seals you off from love. You see, that's the catch-22, isn't it? When it's all on your terms, when it's all when you want it, it's just not there when you need it. You say it's not meant to work that way. It's not meant to, to work to have one person with all the power and everybody else have none. It's work for mutual submission, mutual humility, Mutual forgiveness, all all of these things. And I'll tell you, a relationally antibacterial life is more streamlined. You can write it down. It is more streamlined, but it is deficient of the most important thing in this world, which is and always will be love. Love. Whatever happened to love? We need to love. We don't just need love from other people. Paul says, and we'll get there next week, he finds out that they're doing well. He says, now we really live. Now we feel more complete because we've sacrificed and now we know and now we are together. Now we really live, he says. Now we feel alive because we feel connected. 
Christine Pohl, the associate provost of Asbury Seminary in her book, which is a good book called Living into Community, said that today, I want you to pay close attention. It's just one sentence. She said, today, people want connection without encumbrance. That is profound. People want connection without encumbrance, meaning they want relationship connection without the inconvenience of relationships. It's not going to work because God simply hasn't made us to thrive like that. She goes on to say, and I look, there are many great things about this, so just don't get all upset with me, okay? That social media supplies connection without encumbrance. Social media supplies this, but it doesn't lead into real relationships that roll up our sleeves, get into the mess with each other, and bring love where the fear really is in people. Because you wouldn't know where the fear is unless you rolled up your sleeves and had a relationship with them. To, to, to bring love where the insecurity actually lives. You, you get this? Insecurity, that's me, that's you. Fear, that's me, that's you. I need you. You see, th- this is the thing we can't say. Paul says it in a hundred different ways in his letters. To bring love where the insecurity is. To bring love and faith where the temptation is, where the failures are, where we need people. We need them. All these basic human experiences need more than a Facebook friend. Y'all, we need real friends. We need real brothers and real sisters in the blood of Jesus Christ and in our mutual forgiveness and grace. We need each other. And Paul is teaching us today that you need to be that friend to someone. You need to be that friend. I mean, I think that's kind of cool, really. It just kind of opens up some different angles. You know, we typically think, yes, we need people. What we're learning from the text is Paul is saying, I need people because I need to love people. And I need to be able to sacrifice for them, send Timothy for them, do whatever it takes so that we might really live. Now, I'd like to make a few more observations about Paul's relationships with the Thessalonian believers as we move toward communion. I want you to notice that he sends Timothy not just to find out how they are. As as much as we got to get the, I couldn't stand it any longer, I couldn't bear it any longer, you know, all this emotional language. Let me tell you why he sent Timothy. He does need them and he needs to love them, but he, he sends Timothy not just to see how they're doing, but to strengthen them and encourage them in their faith. 
And this is very important. Look at verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ in order to establish and exhort you in the faith. You see that? And to not be moved, not be shaken by these persecutions, by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for these. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. And just as it has come to pass, and just as you know, we told you. Verse 5, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labors were in vain. No, believing friends that need to love, not only need to show love to one another, we get to have this thing that we might call adding spiritual value to each other. This is great. This isn't just a group hug, y'all. This is how God begins to, to, to flood in and impulse in our relationships of reality, of the word, of truth, of where it's all going, of what it all means. Timothy was sent to encourage them in the faith, help them understand that their suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. He went there to say that you're going through a hard time is not an indication that God is turned away from you. It is an indication of deeper faith, deeper trust, deeper love. Do you see how important just that interpretation of what was going on in the lives of these new believers could be? Oh no, everything's blowing up on us. What have we done wrong? No, 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 Timothy says, you're doing it right. And that is why the adversary is angry. That is why there is such resistance. We told you it would happen. It's happening. Be strengthened, brothers. You know, I love the words repeated in verse 5, when I could bear it no longer. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. He says, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor was in vain. So not only to encourage them in this this young faith in Christ, the second person of God, now with union with God himself and to interpret those sufferings as a part of a close relationship with God, but also to be able to help them realize that Satan will try to tempt them to despair We'll try to tempt them to move away from the simplicity of the love of God in Christ and a desire to walk one step after another by faith in a fallen world. You see, they are to realize, Timothy says, because Paul sent him to say, this too is a normal part of the Christian life. Don't you worry about it. Of course you're going to be tempted. Of course the enemy has designs on you. And do you know, you're going to suffer. All of us, we're going to suffer. I don't know what it means. Don't, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to like, you know, 
put some spell on you or something. And like, we don't believe in that stuff. But you're going to suffer. If you walk with Jesus, it's just going to happen. And you're going to be tempted. And it's a part of the normal Christian faith. You see, I mean, and, and how wonderful that must have been on the part of these young believers. You see, the Christian, Christian friendship and love is not just time together. As important as that is, it's not just heart to heart. It's truth together. That's the other thing that's missing. You know, we spend all this time together and pursue the exact wrong things in our lives, right? We can spend all this time together and even talk about the love of Jesus while we destroy our lives, right? It is time together. It is truth together. It is a God-given, double-steel, reinforced kind of strength that comes through love that is laced, freighted with truth from God that we need. And it's the comfort of presence. It's the comfort of touch. And it is the encouragement and strengthening from truth. And this matters. And it helps us interpret our lives in light of what is real, in light of what God has said it takes an incredible burden off of us to be able to recover something called simple faith. It takes an incredible burden off of us to be able to actually walk arm in arm with fellow soldiers, if you will, in a battle that feels too great for us. And we need each other. And we need God. Do you have friends like that? Friends who want to know how you're doing, that want to be with you, that want to add spiritual value to your life, who want to encourage you both personally and personally spiritually with love and truth. But, you know, that's not the real question here. That's not the real question here. The real question is, are you a friend like that to anyone You see, this is about the need to love as well as the need to be loved. Are you a friend like that to anyone? This is what Paul is posing to us as he shows us this need moving out in love. This is the stuff that real life and love is made of in a fallen world. This is the gift Not only to be love, but to act out on God's love. This is the richness. This is the joy. After all, this is where lives touch other lives under God's grace. In closing, for real, do you know why you actually have a desire to need to love other people, someone else. You know why? It's very simple. It's because you and I are made in the image of God. And God is love. And therefore, we are made in his image. We are made to love. Do you get that? This is beautiful. That's why. But it's not just that God is love and therefore 
we love. It also has to do with the fact that God so loved. God so loved the world that he gave. He sent his only begotten son. I want you to know something about Jesus. Quite different from us because God is different from us. Jesus did not come here because he, because he needed us to love him. You need to understand that. Jesus Christ did not come to earth because he needed us to love him. Jesus came here to love us because we needed his love. Jesus was nailed to a cross and lifted up on the tree solely because he was willing to love and sacrifice even when we were sinners, even when we were in opposition to his will, his law, his love. He wanted to give it to you. Yes, you. I said you. If you've put your trust in him. And you know what it is? Yes, we're made in the image of God. Therefore, we want to love. But we have the ability to live out this gospel of love. We who have been so sacrificially, unconditionally loved, you see, and have the Holy Spirit working within us to help recognize what real love is. This is the other reason that we are able to turn and train that grace on another human being that we have received and that, that love and, and the ability to forgive and the ability to press through, to get our hands messy and dirty and it be okay and to not make people raise up to certain standards to be able to have a relationship with us, but for us like God to incarnate, condescending, if you will, whatever you want to call it, grace that goes deep and loves irregardless that's Christian love. That is actually at the root of what we are made for. And it is the very difference that Christ makes in this world. It is the very reason the church is the primary incubator of how we learn to love. Let me finish by reading just a text. As you look at the table in front of you, Jesus said this, greater love hath no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. Jesus is meeting his friends with his presence out of his sacrificial love. The best thing that God ever gave us was himself. And that is what we are called to give other people. Daddy, I need you. No, honey. Emily, I actually need you just as much. And we both need Jesus' love to be able to love like that. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to see it? If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done on the cross for us, you've been trying to be good or trying to make your way to God on your own and you see it, you see how amazing this grace is, you, you want what Christ has done, you turn 
with me in prayer. Lord, I turn from everything that I've called religion, everything I've called Christianity. I turn from that selfishness to you and what you have done on the cross. Lord, thank you that even now you have come into my life. Even now that table makes sense. Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you for quite some time and and we have settled for a pseudo-loving life that is far less sacrificial. Would you help us as we come to your table, as we spend time with you spiritually, actually? Would you help us to imbibe yet again of your unconditional and sacrificial love? Would you change us, God, that we might love more like that, even by just being with you and remembering you through the table? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.